Iowa's News Now Sports brings you black and gold glory. Your all-access pass to all things Hawkeyes. This is Eye on the Hawks. If you stayed past 2023, what will be the timeline? <laughs> I could hit, hit by a truck tomorrow. <laughs> like, you know, that's a reality. I figured that out a long time ago, too. And with that, we are back with Eye on the Hawks. It's been a week, and what a week it has been before we get into the pleasantries and everything of our coverage today. Mitch Ficko and Sebring Mike Howell. Let's also go back to January 2010, where Kirk has used an analogy like that before. The coach knows anything can happen. You know, food poisoning. You know, I don't know, any, anything. You know, something get hit by a bus or something like that. But, uh, uh... <laughs> that is uh, Jordan Loperina, uh, former KRUI sports reporter, in the background there with the yeesh uh, reaction, <laughs> which I think we all did. You might have missed a, uh, a young and optimistic Mitch Fick in the, uh, in the high shot there for a little bit. Uh, we were all taken aback a little bit by that. But, hey, yeah, live every day to the fullest because, as Kirk Ferentz says, uh, there's automobiles out there, apparently. <laughs> look both uh, ways before you cross the street. Look both Oops. ways, all that stuff. And uh, certainly maybe feeling a little bit blindsided by Monday's news where we start Eye on the Hawks this week. We'll get to Northwestern and the novelty of playing at Wrigley Field and everything that comes with that here in a bit. But, of course, it's the beginning of the end of the Brian Ferens era in Iowa City, the announcement Monday that the program will be moving on from him after this season, after the bowl game, that statement coming from Beth Getz. But here is Kirk Ferens and Beth Getz on the news in the announcement that the eldest son of the longtime head football coach in Iowa City will not return in 2024. No, I can just say that you know my policy has typically been to evaluate everything, players, coaches, all that, uh, postseason, because in season we've got a lot on our plates. And um, you know, that's just kind of been the nature of it. And it's been that way probably since I got, got started full-time in 81. You know, there's just not enough time in the day. So that's where our focus is. He's the, everything you do is precious in terms of time re, uh, relations. And, um, you know, so to me, it's, it's a better time. It's a less emotional time. It's, you know, I can give you a lot of reasons why I've done it that way. But, you know, it really doesn't matter. It's really not significant right now because we are dealing with something that we have to deal with and we will. And I mean, obviously, we have a biological uh, relationship and I'm very fond of him, but uh, I've had a lot of strong relationships with a lot of people that worked here and that's one of the beauties of what we do. So uh, if this were anybody on our staff that fell into this category, I'd not feel bad about it, but uh, I'm guessing they would encourage us to keep moving forward too and that's uh, you know, it's just what you have to do. You know, at the end of the day, both Coach uh, Kirk Ferentz and Brian Ferentz, I am 100% confident, just like they always have, that their focus is on those 120 guys in the locker room. That's been unwavering over time. It's been unwavering that I've watched week in and week out, um, and I guarantee you that's what they're thinking about right now. So that was all the reaction afterwards. Uh, several in, uh, references to moving forward, moving ahead, four games left in the regular season. Uh, Beth gets there, you just heard at the very end, the interim AD uh, referenced her statement that came out Monday uh, uh, going to that uh, for several different questions. So here's a look at the statement itself. If you're watching on YouTube, of course, this is where you get all the visual stuff on the Iowa's News Now Facebook page or YouTube channel when we go live. Uh, and then uh, Eye on the Hawks on Twitter, of course, for all the content as well. But this is what that statement says i had it pulled up and then i clicked out of it of course i did i think i did yeah look but basically the, the first two lines were anyone who loves iowa football recognizes both the success and challenges of the broad attention of our program this season our struggles on offense coupled with the offensive coordinator's contract seven wins 25 points a game we've talked about it make this a unique situation after conversations with head coach kirk ferentz coach brian ferentz and president barbara wilson I, Beth Getz, informed Brian that our intention is for him to be with us through the bowl game, but this is his last season with the program. Making this known today, Monday, is in the best interest of the program and its loyal fans. It provides clarity during this pivotal time in the schedule. I, I think one of my biggest takeaways from that statement is a lot of people keep asking me, and they were asking before the statement was even made about, like, well, would Brian stay on? Would he be the O-line coach? Would he be with the team in some capacity? But... The fact that she says in there, his, what does it say exactly? Last his season, last with, the season with the program, I think, is he's important not to know. Like, he's, he's not going to be back with Iowa football in any sort of capacity, I don't think, going forward. I think Wait. it's important to notice, too, that the second last line or last paragraph, it's not my practice to be involved in assistant coaching decisions and certainly not to make public such a change during the season. 
she doesn't say it in the There's release. No explanation really after that. It's yeah, just kind of a standalone sentence. I think since yeah. <laughs> he's Kirk's son, and you know, we heard it last year when Barta was. He di- he directly responds to the or, uh, reports to the AD, and the fact that um, yeah, I just like lost my train of thought. But yeah, but that's the the fact I think that the what the reason she is involved. Otherwise, if it wasn't you know Kirk's son she wouldn't be making this decision. Yeah. It'd be up to the head coach. And Kirk brought that up several times and you heard him there. <coughs> the, the practice, bless you. Excuse me. It is the season for uh, for colds and whatnot. That this isn't something he always does. And even the, the language going back to, I think, was it August when, when Beth had her first kind of pressure as officially interim after Gary's retirement was official in August, said we'll reevaluate at the end of the season. I mean, you know, that was her answer to those questions about the contract. <coughs> something changed at some point, there was a question uh, directed to her, and I think we've talked about it. You asked me uh, earlier this week, did losing to Minnesota, was that, was that, and maybe the factor of going into the bye week and a lot of time to hear a lot of different voices all over the place, does yeah. that have some sort of effect of, okay, well, we at least need to say something now. Is it different if you're 7-1 and one and Cooper's getting Dark Horse Heisman hype because a certain yeah. play didn't get called back? I, I don't know. This is an interesting question that I brought up to David Eichel on our Eye on the Hawks TV edition. I asked him the same thing about, like, if that touchdown from Cooper Dijon counts and I wins that game and they're 7-1, and are we having the same conversation? And he said yes. He thinks that this was a move that was going to be in place uh, regardless. And I think that, again, maybe, again, it got leaked out, but I think this he made it seem like his belief was that this was a decision that was already going on and they were going to be having that conversation either way. You, so he believes... Monday, the release was going to come out seven one or six and two. Yeah. Okay. That's that's that interesting. Is yeah. That's I mean, immensely interesting to me. He he wasn't. I what, correct me if I'm wrong because I was in the you know booth when we were playing. Uh-huh. Did he say that based off his reporting? He like he he knows that, or is that that just was his gut feeling? Uh, I, I guess it seems to, like he he. I mean, it, we it, never know. At any rate, it's yeah. somebody's gut feeling, you know, yeah. because you know they are six and two, they are what they are. But that was his gut feeling. Is that it seems like this is a decision that was going to be in place and they, they were going to be doing it no matter what just because, you know, even if Cooper returns that touchdown, Iowa's offense was historically terrible against Minnesota. And so it's like, it's not like that changes the outcome of how well True. the offense had been doing. And so, yeah, his idea was that, I think that, again, this was a decision that was going to be made after the season and maybe there had been some leaks that were coming out that, like, they maybe were kind of forced into having to make this statement right now, which was probably not what they wanted to do, but... They just kind of had to with how it was coming out. So that was not ideal um, and not the way that they wanted to do it. But you know, his belief is that they they were, they were had already made their mind about the offense uh, and changing the coordinator, win or lose that Minnesota game. It's a, He made a point, too, and it's such a, you know, a lot of people are making this point. It's such a different age in college football when the portal starts in December. Yep. Uh, only lasts for he's 30 days now. They changed that. They shortened it. If you wait till the bowl game to make any changes and you're trying to attract recruits, you're trying to attract you know, offensive portal guys, they're all going to be gone by the time yeah. January hits when you pretty much think that I was going to be playing a bowl game late December, early January. So, you know, people questioning the, the timing, you know, the new aspect of college football, I, I think, you know, you have to do it before all that happens yeah, I, if you're going to do it. I believe he said December 4th is the day that the oh, portal right. opens, I think. Sounds right, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's what he said. He's like, this team needs to have something that's going to be not only drawing uh, portal transfers, but keeping people here. He need, like this team needs to know that like there's going to be a change moving forward. If you're an offensive player, that there's going to be something that happens. It's going to make a change to this program going ahead. Yeah, we got one comment in the in the in the live chat. You know, the rumors are swirling around the day before the announced the statement came out. But uh, yeah, we did talk to David, who was one of the first to publish a story, I believe, yeah. to break it. He said he was hearing stuff on Saturday, and yeah. that he confirmed it on Sunday. Yep. And I believe the statement came out Monday, right? That's correct. So those are the kind of the timelines of least at least yeah things I, we know we can know. I didn't ask David who his sources were just because you know I let him his sources be his sources. But yeah, that's what he made it sound like is that he was starting hearing ro- those rumblings on Saturday. I am of the belief that this was kind of. I think this was his last season, regardless. For sure, right? and we talked about that. I think one of our one of our first episodes. Yep. I think it was just a matter of when do you reveal it. And I, it just feel, 
it would feel so weird to announce it after a 7-1, like a thrilling win with that play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, by the way, it's Monday, and we're back to it, and this is Brian's last year. It would just yeah. feel so strange. Yeah. I can't help but feel that this was the opening mm-hmm. to, like, okay, we announce it now. And obviously that yeah. goes against, as Kirk alluded to several times yesterday, 25 years, 24 years of off-seasons, this is how we've done it. Um, but, yeah, to the the side of recruiting and what you have to do for the transfer portal. Uh, I think it was something needed to be said maybe from, from that side. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, it's, it's an immensely difficult situation. And again, and it was know, always going to be. The question I kind of posed to Dave was more about the decision versus making it public. And so that's, I think, the yeah. biggest thing here is that they probably would have wanted to keep it within the program. Like, okay, the players know and our recruits know that it's going to be a different offensive coordinator next year. But this day and age, we, that's just, we talked about yeah, that talked, too. Yeah. Of like, yeah. it'd be it got out. how how tight can you keep that down? Because you all you've done is change the distraction. Yeah. in my opinion, from boy, is this guy going to be here? To okay, well now he's not going to be here, and now you've got I think. Jack uh, Leto referred to him as a, a lame duck offensive coordinator, yeah. which, I mean, he's, he's around for <laughs> at least yeah. five, maybe six more games. Yeah. And uh, The interesting question, I think, thrown in my head is, does this fire the guys up? You know, you, you do know you've seen a lot of these former players like Brian. He seems like a nice guy. The offense has, you know, all my years being a Hawkeye fan, which is only about two decades or so, it's not like I, there's a lot of people out there with, with longer experience. That gives you tenure. Um, I've never felt these past three years just like, we should just punt it on first down, you know. <laughs> I was never had this explosive outside of Brad Banks's, you know, year, um, and, and Drew Tate. Even Drew Tate's year. Twenty ten team was a top twenty five offense. Yeah, people forget about it. Yep, I, it was I, seven and five because I, I, the wins losses kind of define everything. Yep, right? the ones in between though, the, the the seasons in between, it's always the defense that, that propels you. Um, but I've never felt this bad about like just going out there and watching it. And I think that's kind of the tipping point. It's the unfortunate thing with this when you you. Zoom out from the, the business of football and the, the metrics and the statistics is there is a bit of a tragic story in here of in 2012, Brian Ferentz comes back into his hometown program, a program that he almost lost a leg playing for in 2004 and went through this incredible <coughs> rehab and comes back and plays and was be- beloved, I think, by a lot of fans for just that, that grittiness. And he's the coach's kid. He's, to quote Kendall Roy, the eldest boy, <laughs> and comes back and is, by all measurements, a fantastic offensive line coach. They had the best offensive line in the country in 2015. They win the award named for Kirk's number one mentor in Joe Moore. Moves to the OC position, 17, 18, 19, has Nate Stanley as quarterback, has a couple NFL tight ends, a couple NFL wide, has has players in place that gets some numbers. And then these last couple of years, it's just been tough. The attrition with statistics a quarterback and has fallen off. And this was always going to be a difficult spot when it's the coach's kid in this position and to avoid the nepotism, the AD is his superior. And there was going to be a, re- if it doesn't go well and there, because the, I imagine the ideal was like, Brian's going to be here until Kirk is, and it's going to be, they'll ride off into the sunset together. Indiana Jones and the last crusade in the sunset. David Indiana Jones movie. Great movie. But when it doesn't happen, you get, to this scenario where it's just going to be awkward and it's going to be, yeah. it's sad. A, a dad had to go to the podium yesterday and deal with the notion that something that was always going to be out of his hands is out of his hands. And it's not that storybook ending that I think ideally every Iowa fan would probably have want. Like they don't want to see their team struggle. They don't want to see this guy who's helped the program for a quarter century struggle. Like it's yeah. just a tough situation. And it was always going to be if it turned this way. Yeah. And that's the, that's the kind of sad part of the the human part of it. It's just like that's it, it's tough to, mm-hmm. to get yeah. those really brutal reminders sometimes of like, oh yeah, they're not just stat sheet guys. Brian was literally there from day one. I mean, I think about that video that uh, that came out a few years ago when Kirk was celebrating his anniversary with the program, where you look back on the very first day that he was introduced to the program, and he has all of his kids out there with him, and they've grown Brian's, up within the program. <laughs> yeah, that's, Brian's and that's, out there with him. And Brian's relationship with the city of Iowa City is probably different forever. Mm. I mean, yeah. he's kind of getting run out of town in a lot of ways, and it's it's tough. Now He'll the get question, a jab somewhere else, though. I'm yeah. sure. Hey, I was wondering if he's he, a great O line yeah. coach. He yeah. will not be unemployed long. I, I'm I sure he's going to be. He's going to have success doing that. At least that yeah. somewhere, because yeah, that line was great. No, in 15. Yep. And obviously, there's 
plenty of work to be done, hence all the moving forward talk yesterday. A lot of talk about what does this mean for Kirk, who's still got a few years under contract and is really close to climbing up some all-time Big Ten lists. He was asked yesterday, and so was Beth Getz, about his future in Iowa City. My plans are like the eyes are to, to worry about this game. And bigger, bigger scale, uh, bigger picture of those, for these four games. And that's, that's where my focus has been this entire season. Obviously, it was more than four games uh, a week ago or two weeks ago. Uh, that, that's what I think about. And that's each and every year. It's been pretty consistent, just like the other things I referenced. Is there a concern that after 2023 that you might lose Kirk now that you, you're dismissing Brian? The concern anytime you would have to replace a Hall of Fame coach in any sport is real. Um, obviously, you want to, we've got more than our fair share here at Iowa, and you want to keep them here as long as you can uh, so they can continue to lead our great programs. You heard some guttural sound in the background there, which is a great opportunity to praise Owen Sebring for weaving shoulder and arm day into <laughs> Beth Getz's uh, gaggle presser there because he had to run over from the press conference itself and then Simba the camera over <laughs> over the scrum uh, and ended up, that was one of those transitionary shots, but it was a great soundbite from, from Beth just about what do you do if you have to replace a Hall of Fame yeah. head coach, and, and that was her answer, so. Hence the video and the guttural noises in the back. But kudos to you always getting the job done. Yeah, I think that was the most aerial I've ever had to go on a camera shot. That was, I mean, it was, I was like, that tall. fully extended having to go up there. Definitely, so. yeah. I would have struggled there. You sore today? Sometimes. What's that? Sore today a little yeah. bit. <laughs> Did you I'm stretch? Living. I'm living, you know. Uh, so, so the question is, and it is a somewhat serious one, do you guys think this changes Kirk Ferentz's timeline? Is Kirk Ferentz the head coach of the University of Iowa in 2024? I mean, all I can do is look through like what I would feel like. And if I think I was Kirk Ferentz and this move got made, knowing that when they signed up, this was going to be how the situation would be. Brown would report to the AD just because of state nepotism laws. I personally, I don't like I wouldn't want to stay around if I felt. And I think Kirk feels that, you know, this decision was under, you know, like he didn't want this to happen and it happened. Um at the same time, I think, like he said, he, he appreciates the chain of command. He's a grown man. He's a great coach. I He loves all the players on the team. I could see him sticking around. I don't think the offense is going to change, though, if he moves. And that's what fans, like, wanted. That's the irony of it. Like, I don't think it was Brian. It was the philosophy, like, conservative, uh, ball security. Like, obviously, every coach wants that. But let's the risk averseness of all the offensive stuff and the predictability. Like, I don't think that's going to change no matter who they bring in. Could you imagine they bring in like a hotshot offense coordinator? Like that, that would be even less than Kirk staying in my mind and probability wise. Yeah. I, I would have to think that it is uh, within the program higher um, who that is. I, I, you know, there's a few names that people would speculate probably chief among them would be LeVar and John Budmer. Um, but yeah, I would, I would imagine. So I, I, I mean, to answer Mitch's question, I, I don't know. I, I felt very 50-50 on it um, because I feel like, yeah, I agree with you, Mike, that it's like this is just such a – I mean, you could tell Kirk was not happy with the way that this yeah. whole thing has been handled. And, and you know, having to announce this midseason, he was not happy about that at all. Um, but he also maybe doesn't want to go out on a note like this where, you know, there's just a lot of kind of sour feelings, like, around the program, you know, from, from a public perception right now just about, you know, how things are going. But – um, but he also doesn't care too much about public opinion, so who knows? I, I, I mean, I, I would say that, again, I, I trust David Eichelt's opinion just because, again, he has a lot of, like, mm -hmm. you know, he has a lot of takes that end up being correct. And he felt pretty confident that, that Kirk is going to be back next year. He seemed like he was pretty lower on that. I'll actually answer the question. I, I kind of think he doesn't. And part of this is just going to his press conferences, and maybe this is, and I didn't last year or the year before, so maybe. And I've heard he's done this as he's gotten older, where he just always – and I don't want to say gripe, but he always takes shots at like the way things in college football are changing. And it seems like he's not on board with them. Like, wouldn't it just be like, hey, you've got, a, you know, you've made a lot of money. Maybe you want to spend time with your family um, and all the NIL portal, all that stuff that you didn't have to deal with for 20 years. Big Ten expansion. He's Big always expansion. talked about not wanting to do West Coast road trips for non-con and now you yeah. have to do it for conference. I don't know yeah. if that changes anything. One or two, two trips a, a year out there. What yeah. do you think, Mitch? Yeah. I don't know if he knows. I mean, I'm sure he's just... That's fair. This is a lot. It's a lot to take in. I know he doesn't... He And he says it every every presser, and I think the more you hear stuff, maybe sometimes the more you, you tune it out. He 
nonstop. He's one of the winningest coaches in Big Ten history. He's two away from Tyne Beauchamp Beckler for third all-time Big Ten wins for a head coach. Woody Hayes, he's 13 away. You can do that possibly sometime next year if he sticks around, if he goes on a nice run. He doesn't care about that stuff. Yeah, he cares about people. Say. And I think that's he continuously talks about anytime, hey, you know, you've won 200 games. You know, what does that mean to you? Oh, you know, surrounded by good people. And he's just nonstop, and he's always referencing the past. And you brought up Coach Fry. Yes, um, you talked about the, the military um, drawing that line mm-hmm. in the chain of command. He said that was from John Hayden Fry. Didn't say Coach Fry. <laughs> didn't say Hayden Fry. John Hayden Fry. He is powered by people. He is a, of the belief. And this is all very zen. Like, people don't give Kurt <laughs> Ferentz credit for being zen, of just, like, recognizing something, saying we have to move on. What's done is done. But just being powered by people and standing on the shoulders of those who have, who have helped you get there. Um, I, I think for him, a coach is a coach is a coach, and I think that's a tough thing to, to walk away from, even in the middle of this, of having a son taken away in, in some sense of those words. But at the same time, we talk about it over and over, how many times you've seen the emotions come out in the locker room after a big win. He loves these players, and I don't think people sometimes see the on-field product, and I don't know if they fully understand that in a loss and then you see the one you're like oh yeah like this means the world to him and these guys mean the world to him yeah. i wonder if <clears throat> if that him not wanting to go out this way so to speak and the the passion he's still very much at 68 years old seems to still have for this job and the success however it may look sometimes he continues to have i wonder if that brings him back but i i, I don't know if he knows right now yeah. it's I- i'm sure this is a a haymaker to him. For any Hawkeye fans, I mean, I'm sure there are Hawkeye fans out there who say, like, yeah, I'm, I'd be happy to see Kirk Ferentz gone. I think that they hopefully know as well that that means Phil Parker would we talked about that. very likely be gone as well. I don't know if Phil stays on if Kirk the, is gone. And so the this, regime this changes completely this, when it ends. This defense that is legendary, that is, you know, annually, you know, one of, if not the best defense in all of college football, maybe that changes if if. Kirk leaves, and then Phil Parker leaves as well. So, um, well, if Kirk leaves, knows that there's going to be a big, big shakeup as well. Well, if Kirk does leave, like what? I know Phil has never left for a head coaching job. He's been the head a defense coordinator for ten years now. Phil's never been brought up as the head coaching no, candidate. Maybe and he's you'd not. Wonder. Sometimes you know, you'd wonder. People know it's a it's a more of a CEO role. They they know they wouldn't do that. They, they he's really good at this. Yeah. If him or Lavar, and people have talked about Lavar taking over at some point, he probably could have gone somewhere. Would he stay then if it's if Lavar's the coach or if feels you know what I mean like if, if it's handed down in the program? But then again, you got to think Beth's gonna yeah. make look at every possible option if there's a head coaching vacancy. Yeah, I I've always just kind of assumed maybe it's wrong of me to assume that it's an age thing. Like Lavar is younger than yeah. Phil, and so it's like I think he's 60, 61. Yeah, and so he he would maybe have a lot more years to potentially be with the program. You know, we've had such a long, two consecutive, very long-term coaches with the Hawkeyes, and so LeVar could step in and be the next guy who's around with this team for 20-plus years, possibly. Yeah, two coaches in basically the span of half a century. Yep. And right now, by all accounts, it's still Kirk Ferentz, and no reason to think otherwise until it's otherwise. All right, so we do have football to play on Saturday in Chicago at Wrigley Field, just a typical normal every Saturday in the Big Ten, going to the friendly confines as Iowa takes on Northwestern, 2.30 kick on Peacock. Uh, again, that, that first uh, experience on Peacock I thought was a really good product. So, All right. Those, those people that have been... I also heard about yesterday, this has nothing to do with football or the game, so I'm delaying the football talk even more, that um, you can watch Five Nights at Freddy's on Peacock as well. Is that... That's so on you've theaters. got that going for yeah. you. Have you watched that? No, I haven't, okay. but I'm going to. All right. Also, 30 Rock and uh, all, your, all your favorite NBC pro- programming. <laughs> Mitch and I will bring you a lot of 30 Rock Boy, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, fans. it's a wonderful show. So here's Northwestern at a glance. Ben Bryant, the Cincinnati transfer who is starting at quarterback, he's out. We bring in Brendan Sullivan. Same hometown as Brent Metcalf. Hawkeye fans, Davis and Michigan led them to a state title a few years back. He has stepped in the last three games as starter for the Wildcats, also started against Iowa last season. He's been pretty nice. 572 pass yards, four TDs, one pick and three starts, including a really nice win against Maryland last week. He was really something there. Uh, They've got also... 
I'm going to screw up last name if I don't have it. It's gone. Kurtz is their, uh, their wide receiver. He had a big game against Minnesota. I think he had 10 catches for 200-plus and two touchdowns. Uh, he's like the seventh-leading receiver in, uh, in the Big Ten right now. The defense is where you got a couple real good playmakers. you got Bryce Gallagher, 70 tackles, three-and-a-half tackles for loss, two forced fumbles. Xavier Mueller, 55 tackles, eight tackles for loss, four-and-a-half ta- sacks, both those numbers two of the best in the Big Ten. They can get after the quarterback and get after, again, pretty much everybody. We're spoiled with Jay Higgins being the only guy in triple digits. They got some dudes there also filling out the top ten in the conference. Uh, Kirk Ferentz looks across on the other sideline or next to him, more on that in a little bit as well, and sees a, a really good football team that's really starting to come into their own after everything they dealt with in the offseason. Two things that really kind of stand out to me. If you look at last week's game against Maryland, they had a seven-point lead. Uh, Maryland took it, took the ball down to the one-yard line, had three shots from the one. And uh, Northwestern got three stops, which is pretty impressive, pretty difficult to do. And then more impressively, uh, Northwestern took the ball and drove it, whatever it was, 77 yards, and got a field goal out of it. So basically went from a... Uh, Maryland had a chance to tie it up, and next thing you know, Northwestern's got a 10-point lead and really took control of the game from that point. So I think that says a lot about him. And, of course, led by David Braun, the former UNI assistant, who has gone from just trying to hold everything together to maybe making a case that he's the guy to be in Evanston. It's been uh, really impressive, especially these last few games to come back against Minnesota, which Boy, that's that's going to be a thorn in the side of Minnesota's push for the West. Uh, they were down thirty-one to ten in the fourth quarter. Northwestern wow. was that game, and they came wow. back and tied up. That, remember, that was the day against the Iowa played Penn State. That that game was wild. The ending was. It was really really crazy. But again, they they got players and everything they've been through to get to two and three in the Big Ten. Uh, you know, maybe they're not going to win the West, but this is a team you don't want to play in November. It feels mm-hmm. like they seem like a, a really. They're, they're hitting their stride at the right time. You heard what they did against Maryland there to get a stop and then go down and score. Uh, boy, as if Northwestern already wasn't a thorn in Iowa's side the last 15 years, here they go again. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it, I'm so looking forward to this game on Saturday for so many reasons. Number one, we just got a chance to shoot a women's basketball game on a football field, um, and now we get a chance to shoot a football game on a baseball field. Just the uh, life experience of doing this is going to be a blast. Um, this is, again, you know, for the final four weeks of the season, with everything going on with the Iowa program right now, this is a chance to see, again, what they are made of. If this team still has Big Ten West aspirations, if they can bounce back after that Minnesota loss. I mean, just as we discussed last week, just such a crushing way to go into the bye week. How do they respond? Do they respond this week by going out there and laying an egg, or do they go out there and respond by showing, like, hey, we want to really play for our offensive coordinator who's going to be gone at the end of the season, Um, and we still have aspirations of playing in Indianapolis, which, again, they are still in the driver's seat as of right now after after Wisconsin lost. This is a Northwestern team that everyone thought was going to possibly go winless, like in the Big Ten. I mean, we thought they'd maybe get, what, two wins this year? Their over-under on the season was three and a half. They've already won over um, with four games, and... I yeah. thought there'd be a little, a little solidarity, and I, I think I maybe said they'd go three and nine, four and eight. But they, I mean, yeah, they have turned into a. We we kind of poked or looked at the Howard score twenty three twenty, which was Sullivan's first start. Like, <laughs> wondered like what's going on. I thought Maryland. I mean, Maryland's a good team. They've hit hit a rough patch, but like, so the that's Rand- a great win. I read a, a Northwestern blog article earlier today. The Northwestern still actually has. They don't control their own destiny, obviously, but they can still win the West. Just about. Yeah, I mean, sure. they would just they would need to win out. Obviously, yeah. they'd beat um, Iowa and I believe Wisconsin in the process. And six and three win, the, win one, the league last year. Yeah, they need one loss from Minnesota, who plays Ohio State. So the only thing they'd really need help with is two losses from Nebraska. I mean, obviously, I don't think Northwestern's going to win. Out Nebraska four games. just beat them. Was it two weeks? Yeah, ago? two weeks ago, seventeen to nine. <clears throat> um, this team also, there's a lot of parallels. Like you know, their quarterback got hurt. Another one comes in. Now that third game, and you mentioned the Howard game. He didn't. It was twenty-three to twenty, and Howard's like not you know FCS. It's it's whatever. But he's really grown into his own with the stat lot sheet. I don't have it on me, but last week he threw for a lot. And Maryland's defense isn't that great, but Maryland's not like a a bad team. He carved him up, man. Yeah. So um, that's best game he's played in college, mm -hmm. probably. And he wasn't terrible in Iowa City last year. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It's. It's a team that's going to be good. Uh, you just drew the parallel of a, a hurt quarterback, and the backup comes in, one that had starting experience. 
Of course, we've talked time again. Deacon Hill did not have any starting experience coming in to fill in for Cade McNamara. Uh, hadn't really played football since 2020 just because of the pandemic and redshirting and, and so forth and whatnot. A lot of talk during the bye in the fan base and on the internet of whether or not Joe Labus was going to get a go. Uh, Kirk was asked very directly uh, by Chad Lysico from the Des Moines Register about Deacon's metrics and what that maybe says about QB2 and QB3 in Joey Labus and Marco Linez. Uh, Kirk taking a little exception to the word used to describe the backups in some way, and uh, here's what he said about everything. Chad Lysico, Des Moines Register again. Um, there's a metric out there that Deacon Hill is 160th out of 160 in turnover-worthy plays. That's, you know, mm-hmm. interceptions, you know, fumbles, yep. balls tipped, all that stuff. So how do you equate that, you know, him still being QB1 with such a high turnover possibility when he's in the game? And I mean, or, or are the other guys just that bad? Well, yeah, those are your words, not mine, certainly. Um I wouldn't say ever guys are that bad. I mean, they're playing major college football, but yeah, we, we again, we go through, we've been evaluating since the start of spring practice, and you know, you look at the body of work, um, you know, we, believe it or not, we, at least I think we know a little bit more about our guys because we see a lot more. Uh, by you saying somebody else might be bad is suggesting the other guy's bad too. So I, I don't look at it that way. We're looking with trying to grow guys that haven't played very much and see how, see how well they can move forward here and how quickly they can move forward. It is an interesting scenario, and this is a business, and we live in a society, I never thought I'd use the meme term, but where either there's really no middle ground. It's either someone is the greatest we've ever seen, or they're trash, they're garbage, they suck. And so we define everything as like good or bad. To, his, to Kirk's point, I don't think anybody who's playing Division One football, Power 5 football, Group of 5 football, wherever is bad at what they do. You know what I mean? Like they did yeah, something. it's all relative right. to college it's, football. It's all right? relative. When you call and them bad. Yeah, so um, there's that. Uh, do you, what do you guys think about the the decision to stick with Deacon? Like I, I, I tend to empathize with the fact that he's learning on the go in a very difficult situation where he's lost his top two targets. Yeah. Um, again, injuries happen everywhere, yada, yada. Um, did you guys think there might be a lean the other way? It still sounds like there's very definitive... Deacon, Joey, Marco. I think game by game it changes. I mean, if he comes out and the offense struggles in the first half, then I think Joey should go in the second half. Um, and even this this Saturday. This Saturday, yeah. I mean, do you think that will happen? Do I think that will happen? It, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just you know, it's so hard to balance because I get that he's relatively young, Deacon, with experience wise. This is his first year throwing college football passes. But, I mean, you look around the country, that happens all the time, and players are able, I mean... Not everyone's Dante Moore. Yeah. You know what I true. mean? true. I mean, that's... And I think yeah. the fact that we, Iowa already doesn't rely on their offense, that, you know, we win with their special teams and defense. So, just to go back on the, what's the upside? What's the downside? Is he going to turn the ball over? Well, Deacon just did that. We almost won the game last last week and that was um, his big message yesterday yeah. uh, more than moving forward was just we got a, he had a great line of only Stanzi can get away from this rule <laughs> Ricky Stanzi throwing pick sixes of we got to protect the football and yeah I mean that's in four, two losses they've turned it over seven times so I'm not I don't think that Joe is the is like the answer or I'm like oh I, I know more than the coaches I think he's gonna be better I just don't think when I'm looking at this offense I see like I if I saw Joe play one game you know in the Music City Bowl and if you, he's he had a limited offense there too, just game plan wise. I don't think it'd be that much difference. So I guess then why switch at all? Going back and forth in my head, but yeah, it's true. I, I guess I could kind of see the same way, like um, that. There's not going to be much difference there. I I, <clears throat> I really and honestly believe that like if Deacon doesn't get it turned around in the next two games, that it's going to go to Joe for the last couple games of the regular season. Just if if he has you know. Uh, any you know turnovers if he's going sub 120 yards in these next two games it's just like we got to figure something out at offense and try to get get something going um, because yeah I mean yes <clears throat> Joey's numbers in the Music City Bowl I've got him pulled up 14 to 24 139 yards one touchdown not like overwhelming numbers but like for an Iowa quarterback boy those would those would sparkle uh, in any of the games <laughs> on the schedule this year um, so 
at some point, yeah, if if there's a couple more games of what we've seen in the past few games, then you gotta gotta think about making a change. I'll take those numbers. I did some number crunching here. So 14 is 24, 139 <clears throat> touchdown. If you take away, like Deacon has had, top two tight ends, top two targets, he was six of 16 for 47 yards. He had uh, he was three or four in that opening drive. Fourth down was a missed uh, pass Laporta. A couple of those passes were nice. He had one to Deontay that was like right in there. Um, five of seven was, I believe, the second to last drive of the game. Um, and then the scoring drive was the one where he goes, it's 27 yards to Laporta, but Laporta catches it like two yards in front of the line of scrimmage. The ball had a Mario superstar in it. And he goes, and all the way through. And then it's the screen out to Lachey. So he, the key element, I think, in all this, because again, six of 16, 47 yards sounds like a Deacon Hill stat line. He didn't turn the ball over, though. And I think that will be the, I don't know if it'll be a yardage thing of like, well, Deacon's not breaking triple digits and throwing. If he turns the ball over three times against Northwestern and maybe has another one or two against Rutgers back home, that might change it, particularly if they lose at Wrigley on Saturday. Mm-hmm. I think that could be. <clears throat> I, don't think, I don't think the, the completion percentage, the, the passing yards, anything yeah. like that, protect the ball. That's all they're asking them to do. And that, that was the, probably the thing Kirk was most disappointed of, and I'm just assuming here, the fact that it's just you're in the pocket, you don't throw it away, you don't take the – he would rather take the sack than watch the ball drop and watch Tyler Newbin jump on it again, leading to – points that ultimately won the game for Minnesota. I think the interceptions are rough, but at least you're, it's kind of, it's a mini punt. Like if it's going downfield, you know what I mean? I think yeah. fumbling behind the line of scrimmage and turning that over, that's the death nail. And in a 12-10 game, it certainly turned out that way. So I think if Deacon keeps protecting the ball, that's kind of the barometer of you're not doing anything to hurt the team more and- than like low completion percentages and things like that he basically said that in the post game we ran i remember yeah. we ran a soundbite like he didn't say the, these are my words that deacon cost him the game but he said you have three turnovers you're not going to win the game and when i'm reading between the lines i'm saying okay but who's three turnovers like the fumbles and the pick was kind of a late throw yeah, bad they, decision they could, ended the game yeah. um so to me when i read between the lines i'm like okay deacon did cost the game by those three turnovers and you just can't have that. And Owen, when you said, you know, if he has 120, under 120 yards passing, I almost think that's the game plan. Like a perfect yeah. game yeah. would be like 200 yards rushing and Take you can have like 110. Yeah, yeah it's, it, <clears throat> Kirk has said it before and clearly the offense has reflected this year. He thinks the, that offensive yardage is the most overrated stat in college football. Because again, it's, it's it goes back to the complimentary thing. And it's USC football last year is an example of like mm-hmm. the reverse of complimentary football. We'll outscore anybody. We have a trans, transcendently talented quarterback. Our defense doesn't stop a lot of guys. Mm-hmm. But we can complement this by just outscoring you. And most of the time it works for them. Iowa's got the opposite. Our offense struggles. We've got one of the best defenses in the country and a puncher that completely controls field position. Yeah. We'll let that complement that. So, I, yeah, I think if... I think both teams are, like, the opposite <laughs> of... Because complementary, you need, like... They have such a bad defense. We have such a bad offense. It's like you need to have a middle ground, yeah. you know, if you truly Ideally. want to do complementary and <laughs> either team. Complement, I think, is just assisting where it's needed, right? Yeah. Like, if everything is great, then you're an elite football team. You don't need to play complementary football because you're great at everything. Yeah. When you're lacking one spot, you've got to complement that with a little something on the other side. Offensive yardage is only an overrated stat when you have the best defense in America. <laughs> if you're three and five, not overrated anymore. That's, that's what Socrates <laughs> said right there. Um, of course, this is going to be a, uh, a new venue for Iowa for the first time in uh, six years. They will play in a non-football environment going to Wrigley Field. Kirk, raised in Pittsburgh, born uh, near Detroit. Uh, certainly a couple big baseball towns there. Uh, Spoke a little bit about not getting to watch a lot of baseball during the season, but uh, certainly had some thoughts about the struggles and maybe the downsides of playing in a place like I the think Friendly Conference. We already ran that sound by. Did, Did we, we run the baseball one? sign? Did we? I got Kirk on Northwestern baseball field. I Did might we not play have. That? Yeah, I don't have another one. We? So I thought we played the uh, the quarterback sign. Yeah, I don't have that in the system, so I must have missed that one. Fair enough. Well, anyway, what did what did we not play? The Wrigley one. I didn't put it in the system, so this is my bad. Oh, okay, it's all good. Um, he's not happy about it. Well, I guess he <laughs> talked about the fact that 
You've got the the dugout <coughs> tunnels, which is like single file, and you've got they're going to line up on the same sideline. And so yep. we talked about just like the struggles with substitutions and for the referees, like the clock management of like having to deal with the clock because you're going to be you, every. I'm not sure exactly logistic, but I'm imagining that just there's some sort of divide there. He did reference sign stealing. Did reference sign stealing. <laughs> Didn't have a whole lot. So to they're say both on the same sideline. That's yeah. So if there's like a, this is going to get two in the weeds. But if they if there's like a foul call, you you know you just go to one side of the field. They have to go like all the way down to like talk to them. That's going to be an interesting. Yeah, I think maybe that's, that's probably. I don't, yeah. I don't know. It's going to be a mess. They played at Yankee Stadium. We've got we've got video at least, right? We've got yeah, I can play ball. that. I just can't Let's play the sound the pinstripe ball. ball here. Yankee Stadium, 2017 footage from Mia O'Brien back in the day. Uh, got to go up near uh, near the family, obviously Jersey and Ethica grad. Uh, she, I talked to her today, uh, telling her that we had the had the footage. She said this is top five coldest things she's had to shoot. Wow. You had all the throwbacks. Nate Stanley to Noah Fan. I think this was near the end of the first half, right? There was a, a late touchdown, TJ Hawkinson right there. And boy, you thought Tory Taylor was a good punter. <laughs> Remember the Nate Stanley pooch punt era, guys? It was fantastic. Nick Easley down there getting that. Noah Fant, Matt Vandenberg. Oh, Remember pooch punts, guys? <laughs> Let's see. If, Punting can, is offense. Can, Nate Stanley will show you a sophomore playing back there. And then the defense had a really great outing. You got Parker Hesse in there. Walk-on zone. A lot, of, a lot of future NFL tight ends in this game. Boy, Holy smokes. Jay, uh, Josh Jackson right there. And, yeah, so that was a, a big Iowa win. Of course, one of uh, three bowl games for Nate Stanley that he won, him and Ricky Stanzi, the, the two Iowa quarterbacks to win three bowl games there. So that was the experience of playing in one of the most legendary ballparks in Major League Baseball. Now they get to go to Wrigley Field. How about before we go to break here, since we didn't have the sound bite, any, all three of us been to Wrigley at some point or another? You've never been to Wrigley? Never been. I've been outside of it. I had lunch with a friend at a Shake Shack uh, this summer uh, outside of Wrigley. I, I love a good Shake Shack. It. No, I went to a Yankees-Cubs game there that went 18 innings. It was a nightmare. Because like f- five innings after nine, like they didn't do anything. And it was freezing. Me, O'Brien. <laughs> I went to... I went to an April 2013 game in the bleachers. It was 39 degrees and sleeting. Zero out of ten. Don't worry. I'd rather sit through. I'd rather sit through 18 yeah, innings. If you're going to Wrigley. Don't go. Uh, but before don't I don't go know, before like middle June. May. Yeah, middle May or June. I also Wait. went to one in 2000. It was against the Reds when Griffey was with the Reds. Oh wow. Griffey homered. Sosa homered. Pokey Reese hit a grand slam. Hello. It was the best day ever. And that was my first game. 2004 ever. Red Sox World Champion Pokey Reese, by the way. Anyway. Hey, we got an Reese. interesting question, actually, before we go to break sure. from uh, Hair Trigger. If Kirk we'll, stays we'll around, if Kirk stays around, do you think John Budmeyer's the OC after season, or do they actually look for someone? Mm. John's the reason Cade and Deacon are here. I think that'd be... I think off-camera, Mitch, you made that prediction like at the beginning no, of the season. No, I did that like, second episode. Oh, you did it I on there? I, okay, I, I can't Brian's remember. last yeah. year and that John was probably waiting. I feel, I feel like John is sticking around for a reason. Huh. Um, that, I, that'd be my thought. But again, like... I if agree. There's, if there's a scenario where Kirk leaves and, and the whole regime goes, then does the whole plan change? I don't know. Yeah. I think the whole plan changes if Kirk goes, but if Kirk stays, I think it'd be someone from when the system owned, like you said. Yeah. I don't know enough about John to really be able to speculate on that. Um, I don't know his background as well as like Mitch does, but um, OC at, uh, at Colorado State. Yeah, before he came to Iowa, it seems like he'd be he'd be a good fit for it one way or another. But yeah, I I do think that if if Kirk was not there, I think that they would maybe he might still be the OC, but I think they'd take a little bit more of a wide look across some uh, different guys. I haven't read much yet on. There's a lot of people speculating about OC people candidates that I was going to bring in, but. Um, yeah, I think that we cast a little bit wider net in the interview process if if it's not Kirk. I think the interview, because they, they have to look. But yeah. if it's Kirk Ferentz at the helm, I couldn't imagine them going out and getting someone splashy or someone who totally different offense than the one we already run. Chuck so. Long. <laughs> He's an OC. He was an OC. Yeah. yeah. He was an OC. He'd been a head coach. Was yep. it San Diego State head coach? Something like that? Yeah. I believe that's right, yeah. We'll see. Still got to go through Northwestern and Rutgers and Illinois and Nebraska and a bowl game and maybe a trip to Indy. All right. Do we have the spreadsheet to look at the damage where we are? We, I, this is probably my fault. I didn't even bring picks to the uh, the Kinnick Stadium edition of Eye on the Hawks for us to pick last week. It was a bye week, been, week for everybody. Yeah, yeah. it would have been really tough. I probably unconsciously realized that was a bad idea, and so we just didn't do it. So we're back to it. We'll pick the full uh, menagerie of games. Bring seven it up right games. now. I Bring it up right now. My computer I think, died before I... Gotcha. You and Owen are still leading, I believe. I'm 
That is true. Distantly back. I think I'm like five games under 500, something like that. Right. We'll use this time to remind you that if you're watching this on YouTube, on the Iowa's News Now YouTube channel, you can do this all the time. You've gotten to see these wonderful visuals. You got to see Pinstripe Bowl highlights in 2023. What a great thing that was. And of course, this is always available wherever you, ever you listen to podcasts, and you can follow us on Twitter at Eye on the Hawks. Uh, will it be another second? Can I fill with yeah. another question? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, okay. Um, I, I, wanna, I, I don't want to dwell too much on Halloween stuff because the old Halloween candy questions are a little bit... We're already uh, moving on to Christmas. It's November I'm, 1st. I, yeah. I mean, candy corn is good. That's the take that I'll uh, end the day with. What's the scariest movie that uh, you've ever seen in your life? What movie scared you more than any other in your whole life? I'm not a big scary movie guy. Chucky. Either. But... The movie Bats, which is from like late nine or late nineties, early bats. 20, you know it's just called no. Bats, but it's about like <laughs> these genetically modified mutant bats take mm. over like some small town, and just like the only thing I have in common <coughs> with Bruce Wayne is that I I'm scared of bats. <laughs> oh, really? So, okay. so that movie is just terrifying to me. I remember watching it as a kid, like just like seeing it on cable and like doing that, just like okay, is it scary? Yep, it's oh. the scariest thing I've ever seen. So I don't bats. even know what movie you're talking about. I I thought Chucky was. Was terrifying. All right, I have the standings. If you wanted to move to that, okay. I don't have them. Scary stuff. There we go. Yeah, yeah. I don't have the expel sheet because it, it didn't save on me when I. I, I want to get my two answers for scary. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Number one, when I was six years old, you guys remember the Ernest movies? Yeah, uh, Ernest, Ernest scared was, was not scary. Dude, that movie is scary still. Okay, I saw that when I was six. A, a troll turns children to wooden dolls forever. That's a terrifying concept. Yeah, as a child, it. yeah. That's, uh, when I was existential. when I was about fifteen or sixteen years old, I saw signs. And I saw like the late show with a few friends. Had I'd lived out in the country, had to drive home in the middle of a cornfield. I was scared out of my mind. Just water bottles open all around. Spoiler <laughs> alert for signs. Right. Signs. I do like. That's a great movie. When the again spoilers for a movie that's twenty years old. When the alien walks oh, by in that found footage, like that scared the crap out Dude, of everybody. That was insane. That's uh, great scene in that's a scary movie, movie history. That's a fun movie. All right, let's bring him up, Mike. Okay, so. Mitch is 19, 26, and 2, and Owen and I are tied with 23, 22, and 2. So What's the excitement in that? There's no room for a comeback. <laughs> no, I mean, you put enough games on there. I think we're in every Big yeah. Ten game this week. Yeah. We do. Um, starting with... Yeah, we'll start with the... Number one ranked Ohio State and um, Rutgers. And Rutgers. Uh, Ohio State, an 18.5-point favorite lead in the 11 a.m. games on CBS. Ohio State, number one in the... First edition of the college football playoff rankings that were released yesterday. <sighs> Rutgers, again, Greg Schiano team is. I think they're six and two. Mm-hmm. Um, they're a tough out coming to Kinnick Stadium next week. Do we think they can do anything against a Buckeyes team that is playing as good as anybody? They have earned that number one ranking. Uh, Ohio State is eighteen and a half point favorites in this one. That could. That's as. A really interesting line, I feel like. Um, to Piscataway. Yeah. Were you guys surprised they were ranked number one in the country last night? Uh, they probably have their best resume. I know Michigan's yeah. looked after, dominant, but like they've, they've Penn beat State. Penn State, they've beat Notre Dame. Yeah, I think that that was probably They're right. Really certain, and they've been banged up too. Boy, I could see this game getting interesting, but yeah, I, uh, I don't know. I'll, I'll pick. I'll say Rutgers will keep it tight. I go to Ohio State. They've beaten the Pasties pretty good this year. Um, I think they blew out Purdue, and I'm blanking on the other one, but they, yeah, they haven't had much trouble with these. They're getting healthy. I think that's the key, too. Uh, so I'll take Ohio State to cover. I, I really like this Rutgers team. I've liked them from the jump, but um, this, this may be the Ohio State really shows anybody who doubts why they're number one, maybe. And it might be as simple as just winning it. 35-14, but I think yeah. they, they're getting healthy, and, and that's key especially. So I'll, uh, I'll take the Buckeyes to cover on the road. Other uh, 11 a.m. game on BTN Wisconsin, a 9.5-point favorite in Bloomington against Indiana. Indiana's 2-6 and six right now. They're two wins. Uh, 41-7, they beat Indiana State, and Akron, they beat by two. They have played tough some games. Ohio State and Penn State, it was a close game. I think it was 38 38- they, Penn State ended up one by nine, I believe. Yep. Uh, Ohio State, they season opener lost by twenty, so a little bit closer. Um, I like Wisconsin. So do I. All right. Even though I just said that they they kept yeah. getting close, I, I even. Have. I mean, it could be. I could see it being like a ten to twelve point win. Yeah, but I think they could cover. 
What do you got, Mitch? Man, I, I want to give Indiana the point. There's a lot of big road favorites this week, mm-hmm. Big Ten. I'm going to say I'm going to take Indiana to cover. Oh. I think they can keep it within a touchdown. Okay. Trying to make up some points there. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Yeah, I'm at the point where I've got <laughs> I got to throw some Hail Mary, so to speak. Nebraska heading to East Lansing, a Michigan State team I believe still w- – looking for its first Big Ten win. They are three-point dogs at home against the Cornhuskers. That's an 11 a.m. kick on FS1. How much? Just three points? Just three points. Oh, Lord. Michigan State's lost six games in a row. Their only wins this year against Central Michigan and Richmond. Nebraska's won, what is it, five of the last six, I think, right now? Yeah, five of the last six games. First three-game winning streak since 2016, I read. Wow. Nebraska. Matt Rule doing some things. They yeah, figured out their identity, yeah. I mean, it's one of those weird games where, like, I feel like Scott Frost each year almost had this point where it's like, you just assume, all right, this is it. Now they're going to run away with it. So um, this maybe is that one game where it's like Michigan State comes out and for whatever reason beats Nebraska, but I, I don't know. I think Nebraska's got to got to. I'm going to go Nebraska, one. too. I, you know, Nebraska, I mean, Michigan State probably should have a Big Ten win against Rutgers. They fumbled the bag there. They could have beat Iowa. Really close to being Iowa, yeah. Um, coming close to a lot of, outside of Michigan. Um They've came close a few times, but I do, I do think Nebraska's defense is, is pretty good. Yeah, yeah. they just have the same problem they've been dealing with all year is just turning the ball over. They've, they've changed quarterbacks, uh, but they still – and then, you know, Minnesota, as they do, has a, uh, a seventh-string <coughs> seventh bless you running back going in run for 200 against them last week. Yeah, I'll take Nebraska to cover. I, I would not be shocked if we all missed that, though. Mm. I, I think Michigan State could – they they show too much flash to to lose every game. Maybe this is it looks the like the show. easiest game on p- paper to pick, but yeah, who knows? Yeah, I could see that flipping that way. That Penn too, yeah. State ranked eleventh now in the CFP, nine and a half point favorites at Maryland. This is a two thirty kick on Fox. Another spread that I'm a little surprised by, just nine and a half. Uh, Maryland, who started so well, they've lost the last three, not not blowouts by any stretch. Lost to Ohio State by twenty. <laughs> Illinois lost by three, Northwestern lost by six. Um, but Penn State, after losing Ohio State, I think is going to come out. And I mean, they could still, it, it, it's a long road there, but could still possibly play their way back into uh, playoff contention. Um, so I, I like Penn State for sure. Yeah, I like Penn State here. I kind of puzzle that Maryland sometimes, sometimes they look like they're actually good and then they drop one to um, who they lose to, Northwestern. Yeah. So like just confusing team all around, in my opinion. Yeah. I'm going to take Maryland to cover. I think this is a game. They have an opportunity to win this game at home. I I said this a month, six weeks ago, that they get to host Penn State and Michigan, and I think they'd had an opportunity to beat one of them, and I think this could be it. I think this is a game. Like, the great thing about Penn State is that they don't, they're not forcing a lot of things. They're not a a big play offense by Mm -hmm. design. Like, just we saw it against Iowa. Longest play was 19 yards, but they just eat away at you. Maryland, when they're on, and I think at home that can help them be on, can just eat you alive. And if they want to get Penn State in a shootout and if they can make it work against that defense, that's an opportunity to make this really close, maybe even pull off an upset. So I'll take... Maryland still has flashes of the the Maryland that we have seen. And again, I picked Penn State to win the East now, but starting to see maybe an opportunity here for Maryland to at least bounce back and show they still have flashes of what they were uh, through those first five games. Illinois hits the road and goes to Minnesota. Uh, this is a 2.30 kick on BTN. Gophers, two-point favorites at home against the Fighting Case and Frerichs. Yeah, uh, I like home field advantage in this one. I think the Gophers could uh, win it by uh, about 10 points or so. Yeah, this one's an interesting one, too. I, Illinois just always confuses me every week. It seems like we're this podcast. I'm going to pick Illinois to win, though. I, I don't have a good reason why. I think they nearly pulled uh, it off against Wisconsin. That's true. Yeah, they've they've come close, pretty. And I'm not sold with this Minnesota team even after they beat Iowa. There's still a lot of stuff that, you know, their offense. They wasn't run the that ball great. so well, though, man. I mean, literally, it's Jordan Newbin. He just, I think he came in as a DB. Yeah. Tyler's brother, and he's a seventh string running back, and he goes for 200. I mean, you just you put a dude behind this offensive line and then run. I think Gophers win by two scores, so I'll take them to cover again. I think. That Northwestern loss, just like the Purdue loss last year for Minnesota, boy, come the end of November when they go and play for the Axe, uh, they're, they're going to wonder what if. 
I, I really start to think. I, I must watch the Minnesota game. I, I wasn't <coughs> overly too impressed with the Iowa game, even though they came out with that victory. They ran for um, 150 some yards. Scored zero touchdowns, and like the the Nebraska game score. too. Like the I know it was the first game of the season, but I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, it's tough. Not, it's tough to look at the first game gauge. of the season it is. for anybody. I mean, it's just a wild one. So there's one more 2:30 game, of course, that we'll get to after this. Purdue, a 32 and a half point dog on the road <laughs> at number. Three Does that say Purdue's favored by 32 and a half? Oh, it does. Oh, boy. Mike. Whoopsies. Mike. <laughs> Just put a dollar on it. Put a dollar. <laughs> watch, watch the juice run. Um, Michigan's ranked number three. They might be the best team in college football, though. I, I think they can cover at home, uh, despite all the outside noise um, with sign stealing and who is at CMU and anything like that. Um, <laughs> yep. Michigan is so damn good. Yeah. Mike? Yeah, I'm going with Michigan. I, I don't think Purdue can... It's a huge spread, but Michigan, and now, you know, Michigan can cover you, you can, they can cover it. And you could say that throughout this whole thing, you could, I'm sure Harbaugh is going to have them motivated. It's us against the world, even though it's like you guys cheated, you know, <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> uh, but I could see that happening because yeah. football players are always looking for reasons to be slighted. Yeah. And they've got it this year. I mean, Michigan is a team that like not a lot of people are liking right now, just in terms of like their personalities they have there and the, some of the trouble they've got in the, uh, over the last six months or so. Um, but man, I mean, 32 sounds like a big number, but, uh, they've scored 45 plus in their last four games. I mean, they just blow teams out by a lot. Like they have not had a close game this year. I mean, their closest is what, 25 points, I think over Bowling Green. Um, I mean, they, they just kick the crap out of people. They play Minnesota and Michigan state back to back, right? Michigan? uh, A couple weeks apart. Indiana was it between them. Yeah. So they score probably what they score against Indiana. Uh, 52. He scored 150, more Pretty than sure Indiana points. scored first two in that game. Yeah. Boy. <laughs> also, I mean, Purdue played Ohio State, and I think Michigan is better than Ohio State, and they've, Ohio State handled them pretty well. Yeah, 153 points averaging for the last three games. Points. Yeah, Michigan. No, and they've played <coughs> solid. You're on Michigan or Purdue? Michigan, yeah. Okay. And then we come to the Peacock, 230, Iowa, five-point favorite versus Northwestern at Wrigley Field, Chicago's Big Ten team against Northwestern. <laughs> I got him. There's so many. He got him. There's so many <clears throat> Iowa grads in Chicago. There's so many people I know that are so hyped to go on it. We finally <laughs> used the soundboard. It took us to November, but we ran the soundboard. Uh, thoughts on the Hawkeyes, everything they've dealt with. They're coming off the bye week, unplugged from football from Thursday to Sunday. Everything happening off the field, though. Can the Hawkeyes get it together and get a win against the Northwestern team that we have well documented now? is pretty darn good, all things considered. Talk about a massive spread. I mean, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> that, uh, um, that historic over-under, yeah. I think, is up to 31 now. Yeah, it wow. moved up to 31. We were talking about how it was 29 on the Hawks, 29 and a half. Um, I, I'm i going to go Northwestern here. It's I, I think Iowa wins, but I think it's close, just like every other game this season. Like, yeah. <laughs> what, what's going to be different? I don't see Iowa's offense doing much different. Uh, Northwestern's offense could, you know, can it move against Iowa's defense? I think... There's a better chance of that. I, I think it's going to be very low scoring. I think it's going to be within three points. So I'll pick um, Northwestern to cover. I would win by three. Uh, the over-under right now, ESPN at least says that it's 30 and a half. So oh, it's drop back down again, possibly. Uh, let me run you check through. We'll check FanDuel. <laughs> let me run you through each game that Northwestern plays this year. Loss, win, loss, win, loss, win, loss, win. Do for a loss, baby. Do for a loss, baby. And I, yeah, I really think that I was going to come out and have a little something coming here after, after the way that the Minnesota game ended, I could see them really wreaking havoc defensively on Northwestern. I could almost see two defensive touchdowns happening. Uh, Curtis Fader and changes things in his uh, feature where he uh, previewed the next opponent. I think he said that they averaged giving up like five sacks a game or something like that. I think they could really make life miserable for Northwestern's offense and um, could really uh, do a lot against him. So I I do think that I was going to cover that five point spread. It is five and a half on FanDuel over under (coughs) 31 and a half. So the numbers really moving money line minus 205 for those of you that care about uh, numbers in the betting side. I'm going to take Iowa minus five two. I, I think kind of the same thing. I think it's a a good matchup for Iowa's defense. I think maybe Cooper finds that punt return touchdown that was taken away. Uh, maybe a, a pick or two. I know uh, Sullivan's done a good job protecting the ball, but this is a team that's that's going to be well rested, and I think that's that's going to be key. Uh, a team that was just at the end of that Minnesota game, win or lose. Half that defense was limping around, moving yeah. slow. They just looked 
beat up physically and mentally. And I think the best thing they they could do, and Deontay Craig told me about this too last week, of just like unplugging and getting away and, and you know, eight weeks of playing Big Ten football and prepping for opponents on top of going to class, on top of being a human being in the college environment, like just to unplug and relax a little bit and now be able to just wind up and go into November. Uh, I think, and a, an Iowa statement's different than other statements. So like maybe it's a 21, <laughs> a 21, three win or something like yeah. that. That's a statement. <laughs> uh, I, I think they get, they get November started on a good note before they come home against Rutgers. So Iowa minus the five to go to what would be seven and two and keep those Big Ten West title hopes alive. Uh, final thoughts before we log off here, and we've got a, a newscast at this desk in 55 minutes. <laughs> yeah, one thing I, I, I had down in my notes, but I forgot to bring them, but um, I, it was in the the game notes that Iowa sent out. I, I think I believe, I believe Kirk Ferentz is 8-10 and 10 or 8-11 and 11 after the bye week, which is really? kind of surprisingly bad, don't oh. you think? Uh, Hair Trigger brought that up again. Thank you for that. But I just remembered reading that. It was one of the... the one of the third or fourth notes, and I'm like, dang, that does not make sense. Because you'd think that, you know, he when he has time to prepare for a team. Or just time to rest up. Or time to I rest up, I wonder when those yeah. bye weeks are, too, if there's a pattern of, like, when they're later in the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could be. I didn't break it down too much, but um, that's, yeah, what I wanted to bring up. Yeah. Well, thing to think about. Anything from you as uh, we wrap? Yeah, I mean, I, I heard a stat the other week just about uh, Power 5 teams overall after the bye week don't typically perform very well. Um, but... I think that if Iowa loses this game, I think it really could be a spiral to the end of the season. I think that that would uh, put this team in a really bad place if they uh, lose this game to Northwestern. But um, I, I do have some confidence they're going to come out and show something, especially with everything surrounding the program this week. We'll see what happens there Tuesday or <clears throat> 2.30 Saturday. We'll talk to everybody else on Tuesday. We'll get back to hearing from players again. That was a one-week thing where we don't hear from players. I'm guessing we'll get assistant coaches on uh, on Wednesday as well on Zoom. Again, Twitter, Eye on the Hawks, YouTube, and Instagram, Iowa's News Now. Thanks to everybody who's been watching, subscribing, supporting, every which way uh, from the start or if you've joined midseason. It's been awesome to have the support. We'll recap everything Sunday at noon with the live stream. See you then on Eye on the Hawks. <laughs>